Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So today, as we move into Numbers 13 and 14, I want to pray and just ask the Lord to be in this time together. Father, I just ask that you will breathe on this passage that I believe you've given me. Um, Lord, that you would speak through these words. Take mine that are not of you and allow them to fall on deaf ears. But Holy Spirit, would you take the bread of life that is in your living word and allow it to be broken and multiplied to each of us as we have need. I believe you will meet us all, regardless of the situations and circumstances that we are each walking through. Lord, those that are facing health situations, relationship situations, God, those that are just really walking through some pain right now, God, we believe that your Holy Spirit can heal, that you, God, are the great redeemer, restorer, and renewer of all things. We thank you, Lord, for that. Amen and amen. So this is the passage that really got me started on the whole idea of our sermon series. And typically, this is the way it works. I watched Pastor James do this for years. You get a scripture and then you can just go for weeks, right, on on an idea or a topic. Well, this is really what happened for me. The passage I want to preach today is what really got me on this idea of going back to something better than normal. And the idea was going back to a new routine in your life of when you go back to work, when you go back to whatever it is that you're going back to. Maybe things didn't change for you. Maybe there were just, man, some uncertainties and some fears you faced. Maybe there were just some things that you didn't, work didn't stop. I don't know. Maybe you were just not sure if you were going to be touched by the virus or if someone you knew would be or, or the, the riots. And you just weren't sure how to respond to some of the things, but you wanted to go back. But do I want to go back to normal? And I hope you don't. I hope you want to go back to something better than what was before. And this was the passage that God gave me that we're finally getting to, right? My thesis scriptures here in week three. And so let's look at this together. We're going to look at chapter 13. And to set up a little bit of the context, we're going to start in verse 17. But how many of you remember the 12 spies that Moses has appointed from each of the tribes that are going to go into the promised land and do a little espionage, right? They're going to go in and see what they're up against. What are we facing? And so that's where we're at right now. He's had 12 leaders, one from each of the tribes. They are leaders. These are hand-selected by their tribes to go in and tell them what, what is about to happen in our life, in this transition, in all of this change. And so verse 17 says this, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, all right, go up through the Negev and go on into the hill country. Verse 18, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there, see if they're strong or see if they're weak. See if there's few, see if there's many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled? Are they fortified? Can we just walk right in? How's the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land because it was the season of the first ripe grapes. So listen to this commentary on this passage as I was studying this week. It says, we seem to be at a new beginning when we enter this chapter. Speaking of 13 and 14, he says, the vindication of Moses as servant of the Lord is stunning and unforgettable. The presence of the people and all their vastness of their numbers here on the plateau of Paran, it's undeniable. The desire of the people to enter this land of promise, it's unquestionable. The faithfulness of the Lord to his promise and his commitment to his people, they're sure and unalterable. Given all the experiences that the people have gone through in these previous months of preparation and journey, 
at last, at long last, it was time to claim, to claim God's word, to believe in his power, and to march in his name and to enter the land. And so this is where we find ourselves in, in those 12 being appointed to go in in this uh, reconnaissance mission. And I can hear kind of, for me, it's the Mission Impossible music. I don't know what you play in your mind when you're like, dun, 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 dun. I don't know. That's what I hear. And I'm like, these 12, they probably had like the, the paint on. I mean, this wasn't paintball anymore. This is their boys. They're about to go in. And if they get caught, it's bad, right? And so they're going in and I don't know if they were army crawling, Nolan. I don't know what they were doing, right? But here they are geared up. These are leaders. They're probably like leaders in more way than one that they were able to hold their own when they got in this land. Can you imagine being one of the 12? Being the one out of your whole tribe that was chosen to go on this mission? How you must have felt? What pride, what nobility, what honor. And here they are going into this land that they believe has been promised to them. And I don't know what they had preconceived in their, in their notions, in their mindset of what they're going to find when they get there. And we don't know a whole lot other than their report when they come back. The record of their journey doesn't really clue us in on what they're about to say. They did their spying, they cut their grapes, and now they're back. And here's what they say, Numbers 13, verses, verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community. There's a whole bunch of people here. All right, they're gathered. There's the Washington Monument. There's a big lawn. There's tons of people, right? This is where they're at, the leadership and all the people. They're at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And when they report to them and to the whole assembly, show them, look, we got grapes, all right? They showed them the fruit of the land and they gave Moses this account. Hey, we went into the land to which you sent us, verse 27. And it, guess what? It does flow with milk and honey. There's a Starbucks on every corner in this land. We are good. Let's go. Here's the fruits. Look what we found. There's a smoothie king. There's like, we, we're good. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified. There's that big but in verse 28 that changes the tone of what they're reporting. Hey, everything looks awesome except... They're huge. It's difficult. They're powerful. It's fortified. It's large. We even saw the descendants of Anna. You know they're huge. And in 29, the Amalekites, they live in the Negev. They're given a history and the geography of who lives where. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they, they're in the hill country. The Canaanites, they take in the water areas. The, as I said in the first, the cellulites, they're there causing trouble. The mosquito bites, everybody that you are afraid of is in the land and don't go near them. And so their report of what they actually saw, it was limited through a lens of defeat. Even though it was great. Now, mind you, what has just happened months prior to this? They have been in slavery for generations making bricks in Egypt. Their task was only getting worse. Moses has definitely made it worse for them, but then he sets them free. He has become their champion. <laughs> Watch how this passage plays out though. He has led them through these crazy plagues that happened in the nation that wouldn't affect the people of God, the Israelites, as he was setting them free. He even took them across this, this dry land that, had been, that would have been muddy and marshy as a sea literally separates itself and then comes back and swallows whole their enemy. They saw, these are the same people that just saw all that mind-blowing miracles that God had just performed for them. And so when God has promised them this promised land, he said, remember what I just did? And they're like, oh, but did you see how big they are? 
Somehow they've forgotten about the, the, the vastness of the Egyptian army. Somehow they have forgotten about the intimidation of Pharaoh. Somehow they have forgotten about how he has silenced their enemies in the past. And they're looking ahead through this lens already of defeat. It's impossible. And so they aren't in denial. There's no question. They're not in denial of the facts. And I'm not going to advocate to you that faith is in denial of what is reality. But faith is, in, is standing in hope that God is able to do what seems impossible. It is the belief that what I am looking at right now, the denial of the facts isn't going to help me, but it's also not going to propel me into my destiny. And that's what they refused to believe in. It was their destiny. They wouldn't see it that way. God's truth always trumps tactic reports. And so we see in Numbers 13, verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people. That means it, got, it had gotten pretty loud. They heard how bad it was. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? All those people that are waiting on us, you know what's gonna happen? They, it had to be a loud uproar. And Caleb gets up and say, hey, wait, 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 wait. I was one of the 12 too. I went into the land. I saw the same stuff these guys did. He silences the people before Moses and said, we should go up. We should take possession of the land. We can do it. He saw the same things, but through a different lens. What seemed impossible to the others, he trusted God to make possible. He said, if it's been promised, let's go for it. But the men who had gone up with him said, so it was 10 verses two, because you had Caleb and Joshua who were given the good report. And they said, hey, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They'll overpower us. And in verse 32, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report. This is what's happening. A bad report is being spread in the land that they had explored, that God had promised. And they said, the land we explored, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Caleb, after calming them down with a vision of God's faithfulness and promises, tries to get the people of Israel to see through a different lens, but it doesn't seem like they're going to. They've drunk through the poison that is, in, it is inhibiting them from seeing it any other way. There's no brighter future for them. And so Numbers chapter 14, it starts with the Israelites community raising their voices and weeping loudly. And that's where we're at now. Numbers chapter 14, verse one. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if we had just died in Egypt, we're in the wilderness. So here they are. Moses has led them out of slavery. They are now free and where he's leading them seems too difficult because what God did in the past, surely he can't still do it in my future. And they forget that God's faithfulness is going to carry them not only from where they were going, but to where he was leading them. And he does the same in our life. If we will see it and if we will trust God's guidance, that Jesus has got us, that his Holy Spirit has never let us go, he will walk us towards the land, towards the spiritual renewal, towards the transformation in our heart, towards the addictions being broken in our family, towards the lies that we have, that have been told about us, towards the things that we want to defend about us that we don't have to because there is something greater on the other side because of God's kingdom coming in our life. 
And if we will trust God, he will take us into that spiritual promised land of what he is doing in our hearts. But it's human nature to, to begin to grumble and complain at the face of adversity, at the face of challenge, at the face of difficulty, and say, you know what? Bondage is just what I know. I, at least I know what I'm getting. I'm, I'm comfortable in it. I'm familiar with it. I know what to expect. There's no surprises. I, I know the routine. It's been in my life for a long time now. Generations, why change it now? Seriously, you brought us out here to go there? Are you kidding me? You're trying to get us killed, aren't you? That's what they're saying. In verse three, why is the Lord, they say, bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children, so it becomes worst case scenarios for them, will be taken as plunder. Their minds begin to wonder and their rhetoric begins to agree with it that this is going to lead to our demise. Wouldn't it just be better to go back? And they said, man, we got to find some new leadership. We got to choose in verse four, a leader that will take us back to our old ways of doing things, to go back to Egypt. And as I studied this passage, I had not intended during everything that was going on right now for it to relate the way that it does. Because I'm not talking about me personally, even though my leadership of this church has been questioned these past few weeks through the quarantine, through our response to racism. But I am talking about the leadership of Jesus and his word in our lives. And will we follow the vision and the purpose and the plan he has for us? Or will we say, you know what? I need someone else that could really just speak to me the things that I'm used to. I really just rather go back to what I know, even if it means bondage, even if it means, even if it means an old way of doing things, even if it means that spiritually, you know what? My kids probably aren't gonna see anything better. I'm, I'm probably never gonna get out of these old habits. I'm probably never gonna see the, the day that, that I don't struggle with this or that this doesn't come into my life again or that my relationships are never made whole or that, my, that this is never, my health is never what it was supposed to be. You just begin to believe this. And I need someone that will agree with it instead of trusting God that no, Jesus is making a way to bring his kingdom and wholeness to our lives, in our hearts, in our bodies, in our world, if we'll let him. And so we have to be careful what we allow ourselves to listen to, especially right now. I'm even afraid just to get on my feed I don't know about you, man, just to scroll through it because there are so many things that are polarizing that have nothing to do with God's perspective right now. Maybe I've posted some of it, I don't know. But I've tried to listen to the Lord and say, God, what do you want us to do as we hold the truth and not cause division, create unity around the right things? Lord, how do we do that? How do we respond to walk with people that are in pain, that are struggling, Lord, how do we do this? We have to be careful to the voices we allow to lead us. We have to be careful to the things that we are influenced by, that we digest and become a part of our way of living. And the vision of defeat, it can cause you to believe that you are better off in slavery than fighting and moving towards freedom. The vision of defeat can cause you to default to grumbling, complaining, shifting to blaming others, and deflecting to consider leadership too poor because you don't want to move towards your wholeness and where God has destined you. Literally, the idea of the promised land became a trap, a pit in their mind. Why is the Lord doing this? 
and we blame, we blame. The Lord, leadership, the vision of defeat, defaults to worst case scenarios that are beyond current realities. The defeat mentality, it feeds fear, suppresses faith and hope. It refuses to move forward because what we had was more comfortable because it was more familiar. We knew what to expect from our Egyptian masters. We knew their lies and we, we just want to go back to what we know. And I want to say that there's something better. Something better for me and something better for you. Something better for our church. Something better for our country. Something better for the world right now. If we will hear what the Lord is saying. And I want to build on a little bit of the history and why this is recorded for us. Philippians 2, as we talked about how we prefer the other at the beginning of Philippians 2 last week, he goes on later in that chapter as Paul writes to the church in Philippi saying in verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing, reminding me of the Israelites, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, that you may shine among them like stars in the sky. And moving on, Paul really unpacks why are these Stories written for us. Why is the Old Testament narrative given to us so that generations can follow later on? What are we supposed to take from it? 1 Corinthians 10, Paul kind of tells us in verse 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 10. He says, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, of the fact that brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under that same cloud. They all passed through that same sea. They were all baptized into the leadership of Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. There was commonality. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. I didn't say this in the first service. I'm not even sure if I should say it now, but I believe our country has responded differently these last two weeks to some of the situations that have happened in our nation because we shared a common experience with a pandemic. Because that pandemic didn't see color, it didn't see nationality, it affected us globally. I've not heard anyone say this, this is just my own thoughts and feelings on it. When we had that solidarity in what we experienced, it set us up to see injustice in a different way. You can't do that to people that are in this with me. You can't do that to people that have gone through the same thing I have. We were all affected by something we couldn't control. Maybe in different levels, I get that. But there was a sense of solidarity, even globally, where we see other nations responding to what our nation is experiencing in a way that, is, that predates any other historical event, in my lifetime at least. My belief is, Paul here even says, look, there is this sense of solidarity and the Israelites even in what they experienced. They all experienced these things together. He creates that, that dynamic, that vision for them. He said, but nevertheless, even in their solidarity, they didn't understand what the Lord was trying to lead them towards. He says, God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies now are scattered in the wilderness as a result. And in verse six, he says, this is why these historical things in scripture are written for us. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And then in verse seven, do not be idolaters. Verse eight, do not have inappropriate relations. I put that in there in case anyone from Kids Quest is here. And then in verse nine, do not test Christ. Verse 10, do not grumble. 
And then in verse 11, he says it again. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So we've heard quotes before, right? And Paul is saying it in scripture. George Santana said it this way. He said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Winston Churchill reframes that phrase just a little bit and says, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And Paul through scripture is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of why these examples exist for us. These things happened as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, from missing what his plan and his purpose and his destiny is for us as his people and to declare to the nations globally of what our God is like, that they would want to be a part of his family. You can be a believer, you can be a pastor, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, and in Acts chapter 10, still have things in your heart that the Lord has to correct 10 years later. And my brother shared this with me and I have a different spin on it, but he still had things in his heart that had to be corrected so that the gospel could reach the nations the way it was intended from the very beginning. That salvation was never for a people called just Israel, but they were to be the intercessors for the nations, that they would be a kingdom of priests so that the whole world may know the forgiveness and the greatness of our God who wants relationship with us, the creator of heaven and earth. And so I see that as Peter, someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, leading the church, still calling that which is uncommon, common still saying that the Gentiles can't participate in the promises of God and experience his fullness. And for us, are we holding back God's image in some way, regardless of how filled we may be with God? Because we haven't had the vision to see his desire for all humanity, his image in all creation. And so for me personally, I have to be cautious who I follow. In these past few months, I know for you, like they have been for me, have been stressful, uncertain, constantly changing from week to week, day to day, hour to hour, literally from the very beginning, it seemed like minute to minute. And just like you, there were some good moments and there were some times that I wanted to embrace. There was that first week where I'm like, oh man, this is all, everything's closed. I don't even have the option to go anywhere. This is great. And then there was like, man, I'm, I'm kind of getting stir crazy. It's not so much about my kids going back to school. They're homeschooled. I got to go back to work. Like, yeah, I got to get out of here. Like, something's got to happen, Maurice. This <laughs> is not working. Right? And so there were things that the Lord was trying to hit reset, though, in my life that I didn't need to speed through, that I didn't need to move past. And he's doing it now in our nation. And we don't need to politicize it. And we don't need to make it an agenda. We just need to listen to each other, to the Lord, what are you saying, Jesus? What are you wanting the mouthpiece of your body, the church, to be saying, to be doing, to love well? And we have to do this, and I'm reminding myself to do it in grace and humility. Because if I wait till I have all the facts to respond to the coronavirus, or if I have all the information, or it's probably just a, a, glow, a it's a coup, it's a one world order. It's, I mean, whatever you want to say, right? It's all out there. If I wait till we have all the information to just respond, to hear from the Lord, be responsible and respectful and respond, I may never do anything or I'll be too late. 
And when it comes to the issues with, the, with racism, it's the same. If I wait till I have all the issues surrounding this situation and, well, I'm gonna wait for the auto. I'm gonna wait and hear from the officer's family. I wanna wait till I, if I wait till then, I'm either too late or I won't respond at all. And we've still gotta do it in grace and humility. And we do it through love because that's the command that we love God and we show our love for God by loving those whom we can see, our neighbor. These are the, this is what it boils down to. This is the sum of the law and prophets, Jesus would tell us. How I love. How I love you. How I love those outside of here. How I love those that I consider the other to be included in his image. That they may want to be a part of his family they may want to have a relationship with him. And so for me, love looks a little bit different at times. I watch Jesus' life and I'm like, man, Jesus through love, man, he flipped over some tables. He really made some folks mad within the religious sect. Was he not full of love? I'm, no, he was. It just took on different forms and different settings. He had dinner with sinners and prostitutes and some people they said he shouldn't be with. The outcast. He's there at the well talking to a lady who's a Samaritan. We don't do that. Jesus, what are you doing? Come on, aren't you hungry? Let's go. KFC just opened up. Let's go. Come on. He's like, no, the business I have to do, you don't know of. And here we are to respond with love and we've already defined it for, for each other. <laughs> but Jesus has defined it for us. What love looks like. Let's look at his life. Not today. <laughs> but with fellow believers, brothers and sisters, the Lord is challenging me. How do I challenge others? How do I receive challenge? How do I dialogue? How do I communicate? How do I pray with? How do I pray for? In a way that exemplifies Christ. How do we walk in grace and humility while standing in solidarity, not being duped by political agendas, the spirit of this age, but stand with and for the kingdom of God in his agenda only? These past few weeks, they've been challenging for a lot of leaders. This past week has been probably most challenging that I've experienced ever. From death threats to misunderstandings. But I look at the people of Israel and how they responded to their situation in this way. In Numbers 14, verse 4, as we're wrapping up. And they said to each other, man, we got to get us a new leader and get back to the old ways. Let's choose for us a leader and go back to Egypt. They said, we need one who will do what we want. Not rock the boat by taking us somewhere none of us have ever been. What is this guy thinking? You know he grew up in Pharaoh's house. He's probably got some of that liberal Pharaoh theology up in his head. I mean, they, I, you know what they said about Moses and where he had been and his experiences? He's crazy when it's convenient, when it's uncomfortable when he's taking you somewhere that God has destined for you, but it seems impossible. He thinks he can do something that just ain't gonna happen, I can hear him saying. He's gonna kill our wives and our kids. He, we gotta get out of here. We gotta get a new leader. And Jesus is saying, just keep following me. You don't need a new leader. Just keep following my voice. Keep following what I've shown you in scripture. Keep following the lead of my Holy Spirit. Lean in. Don't get, it, don't get the abrasive rubs and run off from something uncomfortable. 
whether it's a conversation, whether it's a notion, whether it's an ideology, whether it's a paradigm shift, whatever it may be, let's just lean in and allow the Lord, not, your, not even your pastor, not even the, your Facebook friends, whatever it is, but allow God through his word and what you read and what you pray about to be our guide in this time. And then here's the response, and this is gonna be my response today, and I'm gonna ask you to join me. Here's the response of those leaders in verse five. And this is what I felt like we were supposed to do, and I'm so glad it was in the passage of Scripture. It made sense. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly. The leadership cried out in prayer. If people are leading you into something uncertain, make sure you're following people who were prostrate before God. Make sure you're following people who aren't just falling down before a Netflix documentary or another post on Facebook, but make sure they're prostrate before God. Make sure they are walking in humility and they're willing to hear from him and that it will trump everything else. And that's what my response is gonna be today. And I hope it's my response tomorrow and the next day and the day after and the months down the road and the years down the road and that we begin to see that our promised land is ahead of us and what he promised we are taking hold of no matter how scary and how different. And Moses and Aaron, they fell face down in front of the whole assembly. All the Israelites gathered there. Will you respond with me? We need the Lord. We need God to unite us. We need him to change our hearts. We need him to hear our cries of repentance. And we need him to heal our land right now. I'm going to respond in prayer just for these next few moments. And I'm going to ask, will you join me?